and we're back inside the labyrinth. Season 6, Episode 6, featuring Joseph Lanzoni, licensed clinical social worker, recovery coach, and addiction and trauma specialist. Inside the Labyrinth podcast is powered by the nonprofit Rep for Responders. You can find this episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. If you are interested in giving back to Rep for Responders, visit our donation section or merchandise section on our website at reptoresponders.org. We appreciate all donations and shares. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ice Shaker and Arsenal Athletics. Use code RFR at checkout at www.arsenalathletics.com. From workout gear to also reps for responders gear, make sure you check them out. And for every reps Ice Shaker purchase, our nonprofit receives 50% back. Make sure you don't forget about the reps for responders, building resiliency and conquering the job guide which is available on Amazon, and Reps does receive 70% back from all those purchases as well. This episode has vulnerability written all over it. I would like to thank Jason and Jay for really, really getting down and dirty and opening up. In just under two hours, the amount that these two young men have shared is incredible, and it's something that we all need right now, especially during this season. We really aren't so different. Sit back, gear up, and enter the labyrinth. See you guys out of there. This is Inside the Labyrinth Podcast. You are here with your co-host, the real Jumpman Jay. I'm going to introduce the the man, the myth, the legend, Frankie Vose. Jay, thank you very much. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth, Season 6, Episode 6. We are live. We are literally live in person. Very excited for today. Uh, we're starting to wake up, get the juices flowing. Thank you guys all for for your support. And uh, we got a very, very special guest today. A very close friend of mine, a huge supporter of reps, a huge help to reps and the guardian angel of reps. So we will introduce another man, the myth, the legend, the Yoda of this work, as as we call as we're drinking our, <laughs> we're drinking our coffee out of the Yoda mugs. And that is going to be... Joseph Lanzoni. Joseph, welcome on to our show, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Frank, and thank you, Jay. It's really good to be here. Um, <clears throat> we're looking outside. It's We're having our first snow, uh, and when I, uh, when I see the first snow every year, um, at 73, I am rapidly turning into a five-year-old, so, <laughs> so be careful what you ask me. <laughs> Oh, I will. I will. Uh, so, Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself right now, what kind of work you do, uh, your profession, and uh, how that's going right now in the present moment. Okay. Um, I'm an addiction and trauma specialist. Uh, I have a private practice in Nyack, New York, uh, and I work with pretty much pretty much the entire public, um, every walk of, of life, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do a lot of concentrating on working with first responders, specifically around trauma, uh, and very often addiction uh, invariably somewhere is in the picture. Uh, and uh, this is a very, very busy time of year. Um, I facetiously call this time of year the season of joy, um, because I think that that's, at least unconsciously, m- most of us had that goal to experience that three-letter word that uh, 
sometimes it's a lot more difficult than any other uh, like four letter words um, in terms of just experiencing what that really means. Um, we love the lights. We love the gifts. We love, you know, getting together with families. Very often the we that I'm talking about um, probably are not that aware. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not uh, painting with a, a, a broad brush, um, but probably not that aware that there are billions of other people on the planet who, for many, many reasons, um, whether they celebrate Christmas or they don't celebrate anything, um, do not have the knowledge, do not have the ability, do not have the time. Um, if your choice is, I have to find, I literally have to find my next meal because I'm homeless. And at the same time, you know, somehow there's all supposed to be all this joy going on in my life. Um, it, it creates quite a dilemma um, that very often turns into real, real mental and physical crisis. Uh, so this is uh, for, for me and everyone in my profession, I believe, um, or any, I should say, any helper in general, in terms of in, including first responders, um, we, we are more hypervigilant than we usually are. And that gets exhausting. Um, fortunately, that also gets to be very rewarding. Yeah, I like how you, I like how you said mental and physical, and, and we'll definitely touch on that later on. Uh, how long have you been in this profession now, Joe? I've been in this profession. Um, I, uh, I officially started my first job in this profession in 1980. Wow. Um, in the South Bronx at a... Uh, a treatment center that back back in the day we used to call them therapeutic communities. Okay. Um, I was working in the old uh, <clears throat> the old hospital building on Jerome, uh, right off Jerome, uh, corner of Weather Fe Featherbed Lane, and uh, there's an intersection there. It's the old Holy Cross Hospital. Okay. Um, and. Uh, it was a therapeutic community. It, it was a lockdown type community, um, at least when I was there, because we were also doing some uh, work with federal prisoners, pres federal inmates that were literally brought, you know, flown in to us mm -hmm. um, to make an attempt anyway to kick heroin. Um, they were lifers. And uh, that first job was a crash course, crash course in me. Um, that kind of predicted the future um, because I, I, I wasn't looking for <laughs> for anything really that that you know that hardcore and that serious. I knew by that point that I did want to work with people, particularly around addiction. Um, what, and, what what brought you to that um, wanting to work in addiction? What brought me to that was first of all I'm a person in recovery, uh, and I was still quite honestly. Uh, I was not in recovery yet, um, but I, I always thought, as many people in recovery probably have experienced, that um, you know I'm not like everybody else. You know, I, I I can party my head off, I can do all kinds of crazy things, and then I can you know I can clean up real real well and real fast, and I almost can be like an alter ego, oh. and I can help people to not drink. Um, while I'm, while with a hangover, knowing that, you know, God, you know, when I finish here, uh, I'm going to hook up with some friends and, uh, we're going to have a blast downtown. 
that, that, that's, that's what we call now clinically addictive thinking. Uh, and I'm not saying that everyone has to, you know, go to California and live there for a while to know what it's like. Um, or everyone has to drink or drug or do any kind of uh, severely addictive behaviors and know what addiction is like. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of my part part of my experience um, back then, before I got sober, really strongly colors what I do now and how I do it. Wow, that is like that kind of blew me away a bit. Were I expecting that one? No, not at all. Not at all. That came out of left field for me. I didn't know that about him. So. Why not? Why wouldn't you expect that? Uh, you know what it is. I, so one of my toxic traits is it, traits are that like I look at people and I like, judge them. Um, so like in my mind, it's not like a judgy judgy. It's like I paint people a certain picture according to how I meet them. And in the space that I met you, I met you in a therapeutic space. You look very squared away. You have a very calm demeanor, um, like like cooler in the other side of the pillow type demeanor. <laughs> so when when you see somebody like that, you don't really assume that they had this like rock star, you know, lifestyle, you know, when I first met Frank, it was kind of the same way. He's, you know, he's like soft spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I hadn't seen him in an athletic space where he, like his intensity, I, I didn't see that part of him. Uh, when I met him, it was like a conversation. And then we slowly started speaking. And it wasn't until I saw him in an athletic space where I see he had the other side. So for me, it's more when I meet people, if I meet him on that plane, and that, you, you know, you're super cool. I'm just like, all right, this is a nice squared away guy and, and very pleasant. So I'm like, oh yeah, he's, you know, nice guy. So <laughs> yeah. he did, you know, he's the, I, I, I cannot picture you. That's what he wants you to think. Like rock star. Yeah. I can't picture that. So by you just saying that, it kind of, I was taken back by it. And, um, I know that you have a passion for this work. So now it makes more sense. You know what I'm saying? Cause sometimes some people, everybody has some motivation to do something. Uh, I'm always curious to know why people are motivated to do the things that they do. So when you just said that, it all kind of clicked and made sense to me. You know, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the the idea of the of, of the rock star. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider my life now to be the rock star life, mm-hmm. uh, with <clears throat> not only what I do for work, but also just you know my personal life. Um, all the other associations that I have yeah. um, with really, there's probably an even, even a better, better phrase than rock star. I mean, you, the two of you are rock stars. <laughs> what, what, you. what you choose to do with your life, what yeah. you choose to do with your, with your time on earth is making, making a difference, making, leaving an imprint yeah. in other people, including people that aren't even here yet. Um, that was powerful. You know, at, at some point, Led Zeppelin is going to be uh, um, thought of as like a maybe like a um, some kind of a flying metal thing. <laughs> um, I get it, but but not the kind of work that you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, I always say this: we're all called to serve, right? So you have to Amen. figure out absolutely. You know what gifts you have and how you can you how you can use that to help others. And uh, it took me thirty like six years to to realize what my gift was and how I was supposed to service 
the people that I love and it's human beings. It doesn't matter. Like it's not just a family member. It's not just a coworker. It's, it's just, I have a love for human beings. I love to see people thrive. Um, I've always been in a space where I always wanted to help people. I was always the kid in the schoolyard that was like the protector. You know, if somebody was getting bullied, I'd go over there and like tap the kid on the shoulder and like pick on somebody your own size. So, uh, I always say this, if you quiet your mind and you listen to the universe, it kind of, it will tell you what your gift is because people will, will say certain things repeatedly. If you, if you look back when you were like a kid, people probably said the same thing. You just didn't pick up on it. And I always remembered like I'd be in rooms and people would be like, Oh, you know, you have this great speaking voice or you, you know, you deal well with people and you're a great networker. I can always, you can put me in a room and I'll figure out something and you know, I'll end up having a great conversation and networking and meeting people. And then when I realized that, um, I put all these things together and it led me in a space to becoming a police officer. And, uh, I was just like, and I've always been intrigued by that job. You know, um, my father was in the military, he was in law enforcement. So it was the uniform, it was the, the shine shoes. It was, you know, the gig line, everything. He was very squared away. Um, but being a protector, I take great pride in it. You know, in, in, in all in all aspects, like protecting my family. Sure. You know, being a protector at work, it's that's I take great pride in it. So I try to tie everything in together, but at the end of the day, it's all about service. How can we serve others? You know? Yeah, I, <clears throat> Jay, I like how you said quiet the mind, and that's gonna lead me right into the question for you, Joe. And uh, you may laugh is uh, you know, how did you quiet your mind from the eighties to kind of take us through that that recovery journey, what kind of got you to say, I had enough and I'm now, I'm not going to, now I'm going to not just talk to talk, but also walk to walk um, when I'm helping these you know, patients out um, or, you know, the people that you help out in your field. And Jay, thanks for, you know, your honesty right there. And uh, it's not easy work, but Jay said, you know, 36 years. And I, I've said this quote before on the podcast about the rock, like he said in his twenties, he had no idea who the hell he was, and he was afraid of his own shadow. And then in his 30s, he slowly started to feel comfortable. And then finally, when he was 40 years old, he finally got a glimpse of, like, who he was. So that was 40 years it took this yeah, man, man who was very, very, uh, obviously has done a lot of things, not just um, in the ring, but the guy's all over the place. But anyway, um, yeah, Joe, take us to that when you kind of, like, that recovery journey. So we're at 1980, and now if you want to hop around to... 42 years ago. Wherever you want, you know, rock star in the 80s. So kind of take us to that road where that, in, in, in the labyrinth, right? Take us through the labyrinth where where you, you said enough is enough. Um, <clears throat> I, I would have to preface answering your question by giving you a little bit more background. Yeah. Like, um, like because, where'd you grow up? Because when I, when I, when I look back, um, <laughs> when I look back at so many, so many experiences that I've, that I've had, uh, many, most of, most of which I wasn't planning on having. I mean, I think we, you know, that's how life works. Yeah. Um, but when I look back now, it's from 73. I, I, I see so many events as dots on a page, but now I can connect them and I see the whole picture up to today, Ooh. complete with why I'm even here. Uh, this this morning yeah. with you guys as opposed to where I'm usually on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's 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 a reason and there isn't a reason. Everything makes sense or it doesn't make sense. 
I gave up a long time ago arguing those those kind of dichotomies or those those con, con, you know conflictual um, concepts that that you know make people I think you know crazy you know hate someone who's on the quote unquote other sides of everything. Yeah. Um, I I I really ascribe to the philosophy that a lot of people use as a joke, which is you know it 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 is what it is. And what is right now is that we're in this moment. Oh, in present. We're, we're, we're not in this afternoon and we're not in last night. We're in right now where we are. Yeah. Um, when I was five years old, um, I, I had uh, you know, lived as, as, a, a, as the, the prince of my parents' just beginning family for five years as, a, as, as an only child. Okay. Uh, and then... Um, one day, my parents uh, sat me down and said, uh, we have to tell you that something really great's going to happen. Um, mommy's going to have a baby, and you're going to have either a little brother or a little sister. We, we didn't do the gender. Yeah, that was <laughs> you know, long before that was even a thing, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that whole thing then, uh, first of all, because science wasn't there yet. Yeah. Uh, but also, it was um, like this. I don't think we would have done it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. Uh, but then one morning I woke up and my godmother was sitting on my bed in my, in my bedroom. And like I said, I was five. Uh, and I asked her what she was doing there. And she said, I have something great to tell you. You have a baby brother. And I just was like ecstatic instantly. And I couldn't wait for mom to come home. Uh, and <clears throat> His name is Nicholas, uh, and uh, I didn't get a lot of time to know him. He lived for four months. Wow! Uh, but I had enough time to get this, this you know, in a, in a five year old mind, just the beginning of of bonding with this tiny creature mm -hmm. who couldn't talk, couldn't walk. Um, I have no clue, you know, if he knew me or not, but I was absolutely sure that he did. And I was already planning in my head, you know, like like way down the road, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna play with the kids in the neighborhood, and when he's old enough, you know, uh, we're gonna play baseball together in the neighborhood. I lived in in a small farming town, upstate New York, western part of New York State, um, and our neighborhoods were real traditional country neighborhoods. Everybody knew everybody. All the kids in the neighborhood, from like like I said, around four or five up, to like let's say 18, 19, uh -huh. Dur during, during that era too, when you were 18 or 19, you, uh, you absolutely had a plan. Like nobody was going to stay home. Ooh. Either if you were lucky, you would get accepted to a college or you would move out and, and uh, get a job and get your own place or have, Times have a, changed. a relationship. And yeah, extremely, extremely. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I, I, I was beginning to put together this picture of, of us um, and unfortunately, um, he passed away. Um, that for my parents, because I, as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm seeing some scenes in my head that, that, that are from a five-year-old perspective. So they're kind of like black and white, just images. Um, but I, I, I saw my parents disintegrate, wow. uh, and really, really. Today, I mean, what I would say is 
you know, they were they were in severe severe emotional crisis, um, naturally. Um, so was I, but I didn't know what to call it. I didn't I didn't know really. I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. Um, I just knew that he wasn't there anymore. Um, I had had a talk with my mother one day, um, and I just kept saying, "Where's Nikki? Where Where is he?" And she said, "Joey." Nikki's with God. And the little things that I was able to put together from, you know, my aunts and uncles and my grandparents and, and my little friends about like what, you know, where, where does God live? Uh, and of course he lives in heaven. Uh, my parents, very, very strict, very devout Roman Catholics had already taken me to church. Uh, and my grandmother used to take me to mass every morning, my dad's mom. Um, so I, kn- I knew, I knew what, church look like yeah catholic church um so in my mind i thought maybe maybe someday i can figure out how to go where god is and and you know hook up with him again um it just so happens that my elementary school was right across the street from our parish church okay so one day um And I always had uh, um, a relative or, or one of the bigger kids in the neighborhood would, would walk me to school, uh, to kindergarten. It was a half a day. Uh, and then walk me home. Um, but I was determined, because I had been to Mass a lot, at, it's called St. It's, it's Joseph's Church. Um, and I, uh, I kind of scooted around the other way out of the building, and I went over to the church, and it was open. And in my mind, I thought, well, because I was told God lives in church. He's got to be here. Mm. And I did a little searching, but I was, I was, I was not, you know, I was not as, as, as proud as I am now where I could walk in and pretend I own everything. Yeah. So I, I, was, I wasn't going to go into the sanctuary or anything. But, but I do remember um, being very, very disappointed that, that I didn't see him. But I did, I, I, I believed whatever God was, that he was there. Um, that, that created for me um, what still today is a belief in a higher power. Um, today I call it a belief in a higher power. Okay. Um, then I, I, you know, as a Roman Catholic, I called it God uh, and his son. Um, and... Within a couple of years, I became an altar boy. By the age of around 10 or 11, I, I knew that I was destined to become a Catholic priest. Wow. And got very, very involved in my, my parish community mm-hmm. as, as, as like literally a little kid. Um, <clears throat> I was also pretty musical. Um, and by 15, I was... I had formed a, a, a children's choir, and at 15, I wrote a, a whole mass for midnight mass of that year. Wow! And it was a mass to be sung, sung by children. That's amazing. And they, you know, we we did the whole bit, and the community was the community was very impressed. I also think they were like wondering, like, how did it, you know. What is what is this like? What 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 is this kid really about? Yeah. Um, 
I, I stuck to it because it was the only, the, what I experienced in, in those experiences, which now I look at as spiritual experiences, experiences, yeah, more, more than religious experiences, um, a feeling of connection and a feeling of, of, of calmness yeah. and a feeling of being 100% accepted. Of course, as I grew older and I, I understood the theology more and the politics, et cetera, et cetera, I realized on a lot of levels I probably wasn't really accepted. Yeah. Um, but the bigger message, you know, God, um, I was told then loves everybody. And I, and I still believe that. Yeah. Um, that there, there aren't checklists that we have to go through, mm -hmm. you know, to, to be with our higher power of our understanding. Yes. Um, so I know this has taken a long route to get to the answer to the question. No, but it's a beautiful um, route. <clears throat> but what, what finally convinced me around my addiction was um, <clears throat> one, one, one summer day, uh, really one summer night, um, I woke up at about four or five o'clock in the morning, uh -huh. um, soaked. I was, it felt like the, where, where I was, it felt like it was 150 degrees. Yeah. And I came to, it took me a little time. Um, and I realized that I was on the floor of a cell in the tombs. Ooh. <laughs> With maybe a cell that was set that, you that, you know, that was uh, yeah a cell that was built for like maybe thirty people and there were about fifty of us crammed in there. Crammed in there, yeah. Sounds like everybody was on the floor. Everyone was lying on the floor because everybody was coming in in the same condition I was. And the, the, the I it took me a while, you know, it took me a while, meaning like fifteen seconds as opposed to five, to realize that we were all wet because everybody was puking on because there was no room. So everybody was just puking. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I thought, I, I literally thought, I mean, I was terrified, but I, I, I felt this, this clarity. Um, I felt like, this is it. Mm -hmm. this, this is it. Without, without going through, you know, my, my drunkathon in quotes yeah. uh, over many, many years. Um, that, that was the wake up call. And it all it clicked like, there. I am not so effing special. Yeah. You know, I can, I can look, I look, I can look good in a suit. I can talk good. I can save people's lives, but it has taken this for me, for not me, for, for God to save my life, to tell me exactly who I am and exactly who I'm not. Wow. And I was just with all these other guys. And they were there for all kinds of reasons. And it was every walk of life. You know, we were quite a mix. Uh, and by that afternoon, I was out. But that meant that I was there for ultimately about 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And I, fortunately, I mean, my, I, I knew I had a couple of choices. I could get hysterical. And first of all, I may have not made it out of the cell, yeah, because I was just another ETP, basically, uh, and I was probably not the craziest ETP. <laughs> uh, but I was cra obviously crazier, or that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, um, almost lost everything. 
everything important to me in my life, my profession, my relationship, um, my, my, my sense of dignity, um, lost something really good, which I really had to lose was my incredible ability to use my skills in faking it to making it because the faking didn't work anymore. Uh, and uh, that, that night I went to an AA meeting um, in the city. I was working in a, in a very public job here in, in treatment in Rockland County. Um, so I, I really needed to keep things separate. Mm-hmm. So I, I started out in, in uh, going to AA in Manhattan. Um, but uh, I, I, was, I was able that, that, that first meeting, you know, when the chair said, you know, anybody knew we're coming back. Um, I knew what that meant because I had been at meetings before because I took people to meetings. Um, <laughs> and I raised my hand. And I let the words come out of my mouth. Yes, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm Joe. Um, from that point on, it's been a struggle. Um, I've, I've been in recovery for a number of decades. Um, however, at times, you know, I'm still me. I still have the same personality. Um, I, 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 I still you know, feel entitled to a lot of stuff that I'm not entitled to. Yep. Um, but, you know, that, that, uh, that ego-based reality of like, no, 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 I am entitled. Doesn't mean I'm going to steal something from you, but somehow, some way, I might want to, I might get what you have. And there's also that connection that I think we don't talk about it a lot in the sense of, I, I want what I want, what I want it, I might want what you have, but I no longer want it because you have it. L- life is not a contest between each other. It's like I, wa- I want it because I know it's, it's, it's something that I need and it's good for me, and probably I can help, I can give it to somebody else. I can, I can help somebody else with it. Um, so it, that, that was the great convincer. I think everybody goes through that at some point. Um, I don't know what year mine was. Like it's kind of blurry. It wasn't as extreme as that. Um, I felt like I had multiple situations where I, I, I was like, I need to change something. Right? Uh, I was a very, very, very bad kid. Like a bad kid. Um, my dad often jokes, and he goes, uh, "When I, I remember when I graduated from uh, the police academy, uh, he goes, man, I was a little worried." a couple of years there, but, but you turned out okay. And I remember one pivotal moment was I'd gotten in trouble and uh, my dad had to pick me up from a police station. Uh, and I remember him being so mad, like he couldn't even look at me, right? He was just that angry. He was, Jason, just, you know, sit on the, sit at the dining room table. Cause I don't know, you know, right now I'm so mad. I don't know what I'm going to do. Just Sit at the dining room table, your mom's coming home. So, okay. So I'm waiting there, I'm waiting there, and I'm just waiting for him to like pop me because that's what I'm thinking he's going to do, you know? Because I think this was like the straw that broke the camel's back with my dad. I think he was kind of like done. I think he was checked out a little bit, right? And my mom walks in through the door 
And I'll never forget this. I'm, and this was like, it clicked for me. She started crying. And I was like, wow. I said, I don't want to be the guy that makes his mom cry. And I, for, for me right there, that's like one switch. It was like, I was like, all right, well, we're not getting in trouble anymore. We're not going to be the person that makes his mother cry. I don't want to be the disappointment, you know? And for me, it was more like, you know, I get goosebumps talking about it because I remember like it was, it's vivid. It's very clear. And I was, I was, I was like 16 or 17 when that happened. And uh, I was 16 when that happened. And right there, I was like, all right, well, we got to start changing some things here in, in, in my life. And then I remember the Jesus year. I was like 33 and super tumultuous uh, relationship. And it clicked. I was like, well, I need, I need to figure out how to better myself because I have a problem. Like my biggest problems in my life has always, has always stemmed from women. Always, always. And um, I think that's why the shift happened with, like, with me because of seeing my mother cry. Like I have some kind of connection to women where I just, if I see a woman in distress or like it just, it hits me differently. I don't know, I don't know why, but it just happens to be that. And I just remember like 33, just being like, Jason, you gotta get your shit together. You know, I started reading. Um, I went and I, I spoke to a therapist and they started unpacking a lot of things from my childhood, like a lot, you know? And I remember my therapist saying this one time, um, when you were growing up, your parents were growing up. And that just Absolutely. blew my mind. <laughs> you know? Wow. Because we always think like mom and dad, like, you know, like mom and dad got it together, but you know, my they, dad they, they came out of a box. Yeah. It's like <laughs> just, just like that. Yeah, yeah. You just you don't we don't sit there and think about that. Like, you know, I remember my dad told me something that really blew my mind. I was like I was twenty I was twenty eight and he looked at me, he goes, when I was your age, I was already married with two kids. And I remember where my brain was at 28. I was a madman at 28, you know, and you couldn't tell me anything. I thought I had it all figured out. And imagine raising two humans, you know, and, and with that mentality, like, oh, I got it all. You know, I mean, I was just running around like a, like a freaking madman. So uh, when she said that when you were growing up, your parents were growing up. And I was like, wow. I get it now. You know, I. I you know, we're not perfect. You know, we're, we're made in his likeness, but we are not God. And, you know, a lot of people out here, they fake perfection, you know, and it's, we're supposed to be imperfect. We're imperfectly perfect, you know, and that's when it clicked for me. And I, I remember just, I, I got a good routine going. I would wake up, I would meditate, a little bit of prayer, journal, and then I would see her like two times a week. And then um, slowly but surely, I started to feel better. And I, and I remember this one thing, uh, Maslow's hierarchy, top is self-actualization at the top. I remember one day it just hit me, boop. <clears throat> that light bulb went off and I was like, I know what I'm here for now. I know what I need to focus on. I know, that I, I know where I'm super weak. I know where I'm very strong. Now it's time to navigate life with these markers. And my life shifted right then. And I remember I was driving home the other night. I get off at like four in the morning, right? And I, a lot of the times I'll put on an audio book or I'll drive in complete silence. I'm trying to wind down so I can go home and go to sleep right away, you know? So I dim the screen and I remember it was like 4.20 on the dot. And I go, damn, I, I lived the life that I manifested six years ago. 
I'm currently where I'm at right now, the, the, the dream life, right? I live it right now. I manifested it. I, you know, it took some work. It took putting things into, into action, you know, because, you know, you can dream, right? But you can't attain a dream without an action, right? We need a plan of attack. We need to figure out how we're going to get from point A to point B. And I just remember, I was like, thank you. And I was, I went home that night. I slept like a baby, but it, it just hit me, man. I was like, I lived the life that I dreamed of living. I, I am surrounded by love. I have a job. Um, I know who I am. I know my purpose. I know, I know why I do what I do. And, you know, here I am 40 years old, right? And it's funny that we were talking about The Rock, and The Rock was like, he didn't realize that everything until he's like 40. It just, life got super clear for me at 40. Meanwhile, you know, if, if you talk to 22-year-old Jason, he was terrified to turn 40, you know, <laughs> terrified, you know. Yes. I, I, I saw 40 as like, oh, man, I'm like halfway in the grave, just, you know, start putting dirt on the left foot, you know. <laughs> and 40 has been so, it's been, it's been sobering, man. Like, you, you, you figure out like, hey, you, you still don't got it together, but you're still learning, but you're on the right path. And I just remember being, I just very thankful. I always wake up with a great deal of gratitude because for me to be exactly where I am right now in my life, I could have been removed from this earth several times. And I know why I'm here. I know my purpose. And I know I still got more to do. So like when you say all these things, it resonates so much with me. It hits my spirit because I was like one or two situ uh, situations away from being in the grave or being in prison. And I'm, I'm just very grateful and very thankful that I am, I am where I am. And I'm surrounded by really, really good people. And these people just happen to like trickle into my life, you know? And yeah, sometimes I like have to pinch myself because I'm just like, how do you live this life, Jay? I don't, and people may, may think this sounds corny, but you know, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not, you know, like a famous singer or rapper or whatever, but <laughs> I, I live a beautiful life, man. And I know it's, it's, it's because there was that golden moment where I was like, you, you got to get it together or we're not going to be around too long, you know? And then you start to look around, especially at the age of 40. 40 hit me a little differently because I remember I saw a picture. It was six friends, right? Five of those six are dead. And that's when I was like, wow, man. People were just dropping off like flies, you know? And I'm just like, I'm 40, I'm, I'm healthy, you know? By the grace of God, I'm healthy. And, you know... I just, I don't know how I even made it here, dude. Like, I'm just like, I'm here and I'm, and I'm super, super, super thankful. So hearing you say all these things, these, these like, these pivotal moments, it just kicked up so much in, in my heart, man. And I'm, I'm super grateful to be in this room right now having this conversation with you when you started talking about presence and being, you know, living in the now. Like, I take all these moments and I try to embrace it as much as possible because you know, we don't know how long we're going to be here, right? You know, we don't know when the time card's going to get punched. No clue. You know, so they say if you if you want to make God laugh, you tell him your plans, right? I used to think, uh, you know, when I was younger, I said, I'm gonna, you know, I want to die like James Dean, like you know, young and handsome. I don't want to get old, you know. <laughs> now, now I'm like 40, <laughs> you know, and I want I, I want another 40 years. I'm like, give me more, man. I don't want to go, you know. So, I just this conversation it has been so so just eye opening and. and and I feel it like here, this is probably one of the greatest conversations I've seen. We're not even done yet, we're like in the middle. And this has been one of the uh, the more pivotal conversations I've had in the last several years. 
of my life, you know, just listening to you and just soaking everything up, man. So I'm sorry I had one off a little tangent, no, but like it was, just th- hit me, you know? I thank you for that because I wasn't expecting, like, this is some good shit. Like, I wasn't. Oh, this is great, bro. I wasn't expecting. Uh, I've known Jay for now two years, probably more. Uh, you know, three years. Maybe. Yeah, closer to three now, yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, I've never really. Uh, I have, but like this is maybe like, and we're, we're, people are going to be hearing this. This is not just us three in a room oh, talking. Yeah. People this are going to be hearing this. People are going to be <laughs> <laughs> people are going to be hearing this. And Jay, you know the way you open up, just thank you. Like I, I have, yeah. I've, you know, you really just vulnerability right there, like to a T. And of course Joseph as well. Um, and I, I know a little bit about Joe's story. So when you know you said that the tombs, I was looking at Jay to see his reaction. Yeah, because uh, I'm thinking this. You know, like I said he's cool on the other side of the pillow, and next you know he's telling me he's in a tomb in his cells. You know, this has been a uh, vulnerable moment uh, that I definitely needed for the the two ways, even in my current present life. And I think this is what we this shows like this conversation so far is that you don't have to be in recovery. To do the twelve steps, and I think what you know, what Joe was just talking about, and Jay was talking about, what what do we call? We call that a spiritual awakening. Yes, what Jay just had. So, Joe, do you want to teach? You want to teach us? Do you want to take us through kind of what your meaning of a spiritual awakening is, and explain that you don't have to be in recovery to really, you know, through substances, you can be in recovery through anything. Yes, first of all, um, <clears throat> a, a, a big yes. Um, I've already put on the table my, you know, what has helped me the most. Um, and it is, it, it certainly is a lot about the 12 steps. Um, I also know that uh, there are a lot of things we probably need to be in recovery. We all, as human beings, need to recover from um, that, um, that don't get thought of a lot, um, that are very much alive in our unconscious mind. Uh, and one of the things that just one of the reasons why I'm still doing the work that I'm doing particularly once again in terms of the the, it's almost like the confluence of addiction and trauma um, is that um, we we're all the same number one I mean one of the biggest things that I've learned um, and my, any my my studying my continued study of uh, everything that that you know, I want to be as well prepared as possible mm-hmm. um, on, in in a research based way to be able to help a person without me thinking that you know I have to do like arts and crafts therapy, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and yeah. and uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, that means something to somebody else. When I when I think of physiology in general. Um, among the the biggest revelations that I've had is, and this is something that I knew when I was a kid. Um, certainly, as a teenager, I grew up during the, the. I was a teenager during the the turbulent '60s, uh, and there was a lot going on, complete with a war yeah. that was breathing down the neck of every American male teenager. Um, if something else, if, if we couldn't, if we couldn't, you know, know or decide what we were going to be doing at 18, um, after high school graduation, or if we weren't in school, um, uncle Sam had already decided. Yeah. 
so we were we were we were living with with that and so many so many millions of brave young men um and 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 women um at, at that point uh there wasn't the the equity in terms of uh, the military, uh, but women as support, as as medical personnel, etc., um, just got scooped up. You know, it, we we took it as you know, this is if I if if I don't really scramble and and like get into get into a college, for example, which will give me a student deferment for as long as I'm there. Mm. Um, but you could you couldn't be like a lot of people are today. They're uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not criticizing anybody when I say this. They're they're at a community college, and they've been there for ten years, <laughs> um, and they're working toward a bachelor's degree. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that would not get you a deferment then. It was four years, at the most, if you're at a community college and you want to get an associate, but you're not going to go on, then your draft board would send you, you know, like a, a, a greeting card. Wow. Um, so that was in play. Um, and what was also in play was because the civil rights movement was incredibly vibrant and alive, um, for, for many, many, many people my age then as teenagers, um, and I am, uh, ostensibly a Caucasian boy, you know, from uh, farm country, uh, you know, an hour from Canada, yeah. um, Martin Luther King, Everybody else involved were, for many of us, like powerful, almost like biblical role models. Yeah. And it was just like almost stunning that like um, this man and this group, uh, and I, I, I couldn't get enough of his speeches. Anytime he was on TV, even for like for three minutes, um, and we didn't have, you know, 24-7 news cycle at that point. So it'd be just little snippets, you know, on the Buffalo or the Rochester news. And today, Dr. Martin Luther King was speaking in Atlanta and, you know. Um, but what I, what I was able to glean from the news and also the newspapers, et cetera, uh, it was that, and I, and I purposely point him out, um, also because he was a minister and the way he spoke um, was literally scriptural. Scripture, yeah, he, he scriptural, had a beautiful cadence. Bi- biblical, complete with a lot of biblical imagery. Mm-hmm. And I was one of like the, the weirdos in, in high school. Um, I was reading Thomas Aquinas. I was, read, I was reading the Bible back yeah. and forth. And I was, you know, like hit, hitting the book of Isaiah and reading. And then, like maybe three months later, there was a phrase that that came up in a speech that I knew I had read before. So I go flipping back, and it's like, "Wow, he's he's quoting somebody who was who put those words together like over two thousand years ago." Yeah, and they're very relevant today. So I, I I saw that along with everything, all the other craziness that was going on with riots and with uh, people burning their draft cards and uh, the sexual revolution was exploding. Um, parents were going out of their minds because, uh, <clears throat> you know, their sons all had long hair and, and beads and feathers and 
you know, all kinds of shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, that, that, that was, that was the, uh, that, that was the scenery that I was in the middle of and I was part of it. I couldn't even um, imagine that. But, but particularly the, the idea that was, that struck me was something that I knew because I was also bullied as a kid. Um, I was, I was, um, very quiet. I was very respectful. Um, adults liked me a lot, which I'm sure turned a lot of my, my, uh, my fellow, you know, student classmates off. Yeah. Um, uh, my, my, my work in the church, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I did all that because I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. It, that's what I was drawn to. But ultimately, there were a lot of influences, um, including my my paternal grandfather, um, who uh, was really like my. I mean, he. My my dad is my major male role model. Yeah, the way he lived, he was a World War II veteran. Was on one of those little boats, you know, uh, on D-Day, going toward the shore. Got through that. Got through the Battle of the Bulge, the Ardennes, the liberation of Paris, the liberation of Berlin, and then actually with his his little unit, um, unexpectedly liberated Buchenwald concentration camp um, after uh, the victory over Germany, mm-hmm. um, and walked into the piles of bodies and everything and. The, the stories that he would tell. Um, it, it was he, he said, you know, after all the battles that we fought, and I saw so many of my friends, you know, die in front of me. I, I, when I walked into this concentration camp and I saw the bodies piled up and I saw the ovens with ashes in them, mm. and then it, they were explaining to us what what was really going on. He said, I felt like we had walked into hell. Wow. And I, he, yeah, right. Um, but that, that, the, there, there were a lot of influences on, on who, I, who I became. Um, and that idea, back to physiology, I, I didn't forget where I was going. Um, under our skin, we are all the same. Amen. We have the same body. We have the same brain. We have the same central nervous system. We have the para and the sympathetic nervous system. We have stomachs. We have intestines. We got. We got all the equipment under the skin is all the same. Yeah. Plus, our body, our our, our blood is more blue than red inside. Um, and we have pick any human being from any corner of the earth, and inside we're all the same. That that to me has to mean something. You know, there on one on one level everything is random. I talk to so many people who like, you know, don't talk, don't talk to me about this God shit or, or a higher power or, you know, tell me to have hope, you know, fuck you <clears throat> paying you a lot of money. I don't want to hear that shit. I, I want to know what you think I should do. Yeah. Um, and I always say, well, I think what you should do is keep, keep getting this out with me. Keep talking. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. Um, but I'm not a robot. Uh, and I would feel a little guilty, you know, being paid to just sit here like a piece of furniture. 
Yeah. Plus, I've got a big mouth. <laughs> so I'm going to talk anyway. Yeah. You know? um, the, the fact that we have more in common than we don't. Um, wow. Just the way human beings, you know, socialize. Start starting with you know with that that unit that we call a family. Hmm. What we what we now are are in in terms of you know a time frame in history now, and just American history. Yeah. But all over the world, um, we're understanding that everything evolves, even in terms of some of our most cherished concepts. A family doesn't necessarily mean a man and a woman and children. Yeah. A family might be a whole community. It takes a village. Absolutely. Yeah. It 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 uh, it's not it it is not particularly based in gender. Gender identity in quotes, which a lot of times gets gets all, all screwed up with the concept of sexual orientation. Yeah. Um, but I'm that's not what our talk about is about today. But I, I'm I'm just throwing things out that get in our way of thinking of other people as different. When actually, what we're really mirroring to ourselves, and we're filling our filling ourselves up with cortisol, a lot of adrenaline and a lot of cortisol, yeah. in thinking, not you're different from me, I'm fucking different from you. Yeah. I'm special. I belong here. I'm I'm entitled to everything. Sounds like a lot of cops I know. You're not. Talk you know, about it. You know, you're you're not. You know, you you're an object to me. Yeah, I'm a, I'm the real deal. I'm the I'm the, the living son. You know, um, oh, and we and we we can we can we can all we can all fall into that so easily. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it, you know, played to us every day. You know, in all now the technology we have, whether it's the news or whether it's social overstimulation media or overstimulation with shit. Yeah, man. You know, with stuff that really fucks people up. Yeah, dude. And I didn't ask at the beginning if I couldn't curse. No, nah, you could. Listen, you, you can edit. Grown adults, and we don't. Yeah, okay, you know, okay, okay. Grown okay. adults, listen to this. I don't know what the fuck you just said. So. <laughs> it's the more you talk, the more I. We have a lot of similarities, a lot, a lot. I just. Well, I'm, I know I'm handsome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you when you talk, I hear a lot of myself in you. Mm. The uh, you know, I was an altar boy. I wanted to go. I wanted to go to a cathedral prep, which is, was to yeah. prep you to become a priest. Yeah, uh, I had an affinity for uh, the Bible, and I felt like I, I had this divine connection. I this all sounds like me, and it's like the more you talk, I don't know if you see. I'm like sitting up and I'm like leaning in because <laughs> it sounds so much like myself. And meanwhile, like I said, the first time I met this man, I didn't have this image in my brain to know that and we circle back to what you're talking about right now how similar we are right you got a, you got you got a black guy and a white guy you know two different eras right but we are almost identical and how we came up and and how we you know I'm, our neighborhoods might have looked different but the same his thought process was my thought process when i was a kid i wanted to know who god was i wanted a, a great relationship with god and you know, I be, I became an altar boy, and I I looked into you know serving God, found out some things that I was like I'm not too happy with, and then I the trajectory of that <laughs> you know went a different place. But 
it is his story is my story, you know? And then the more I sit down in these conversations and the more, the more I realize what my addiction was, I was an adrenaline junkie oh. for sure. I, I like would chase the thrill. That's why I'm such a bad kid. Yeah. You know, I was just, I, I was one of those guys like, all right, I'm gonna do that and see if I get caught. Oh, I'm gonna do that. And you know, and j- just to see what, what the outcome would be. You understand? Like that's, that was my addiction, you know? And it's the, the more we sit in these conversations and we talk about recovery and different types of addictions, I think that's why I have such an affinity for this work. That's why I want to be a part of this process because I want to help people identify because there, there's several levels of addiction is there's different ways you there's different things you can be addicted to. People automatically assume addiction is drugs, alcohol, sex, so many other things you can get addicted to. So many, you just don't even realize it. But once you figure out what that is, you need to get help for that, you know, or, or you need to surround yourself with people who are trying to better themselves and remove themselves from that, that lifestyle, you know, having that attitude, that mentality, you know, and it, it's, it's like, it was weird. Cause I was at work last night and I'm like trying to figure out how I'm going to get here. I got to get enough sleep. Cause I wanted to be mentally present for this conversation. Cause I knew Anytime Frankie says this is going to be a good one, I'm like, okay, so I need to <laughs> prep myself. He lies a lot. No, but he's always, he's been spot on, dude. Like, like he'll tell me, Jay, man, I'm telling you, this one's going to be a good one. I, from the last episode, uh, I had, you know, with Nick, Nick, you know, my, my, I have a cousin who, and, and this is why I've been so cautious around alcohol. Um, because it's in my family. It's in my bloodline, dude. Like got uncles. Sure. That just dabbled in genetic yeah. disposition. Yeah, genetic disposition and alcohol was the vice. So I always paid attention to my consumption. And I remember there was points in my life where I was I would it would spin out of control, wake up, oh, how did I get home? You know what I mean? Where's my card? You know, that type of stuff. And and so I always uh played close attention to like what I was drinking, when I was drinking, who I was drinking around, that type of stuff. But I remember I have I have a cousin and he listens to the podcast, who I looked up to my entire life. He was always the epitome of what I thought a man should be. So one day we're sitting down, we're having a conversation, and he's telling me about all his demons, man. Like, you know, he had a severe alcohol problem, and his father had an alcohol problem as well. So like, this is where he goes back to this hereditary stuff, this genetic disposition. And I remember, and, I, and I'm going to tell this story, because I know he's probably listening to this. He told me a story about his father. So when you're a kid, you don't know, like you just know this guy's your cousin, right? And you know, that's my aunt, right? I didn't understand the, the, the correlation of who he was, right? So to make a, a long story short, his father, my uncle, my great uncle, uh, had another family, right? So he had, you know, his three daughters and a son, his two daughters and a son. I didn't know that my, my cousin was his son until I was like 20 years old. Didn't know this. Did not know this at all. I had no clue that that was his son. And so my cousin had all this anger and rage in his heart because he felt his father picked the wrong family. He was a mm-hmm. phenomenal basketball player. Went to school on a full scholarship to play basketball. And I remember reading a, a, a program, right? You know. And I'm reading how, in the program, he, he, he's like, how much he hated his dad. It was in the program. 
like he, he like he was a good basketball player and they were like well what motivates you to be as good as you are he goes i just picture my my opponent it's my dad's face and that's why i go so hard and i was like wow so one day uh, we're sitting at my apartment and we're unpacking this whole thing and and this is why I talk about like divine intervention and, and like things being bigger than us. So he had this tumultuous relationship with his father. And um, I think my uncle tried to make a, make amends with him on several different occasions. It just didn't work. But this particular time they managed to get together and figure out a system where they could heal together. Right. Um, they went to a basketball game and they took a photo and, you know, he kind of, his, you know, he, he explained the whole situation, you know, cause when we're growing up, our parents are growing up and why he wasn't around was because, you know, my cousin's mom was making it very difficult for him to see the kids and so on and so forth. So he just, you know, we're men, we have ego and he was like, well, fuck it. I don't want to do this then. If you don't want me to be around. I won't be around. So once he figured out, I got this whole story, they were able to kind of make, make amends and, and, and repair this relationship. They go to a basketball game. They were both, uh, he was a big St. John's fan. And so they go to this game. They have a phenomenal time. They take this photo. He dies two days later. Hmm. And I remember, I'll never forget this dude. They're putting him in the ground. And uh, my cousin's this huge guy, huge man, 6'4", 230-some pounds, big dude. And I felt him get weak. I'd literally hold this man up. And it wasn't me holding this man up. I think like something was with me keeping him up because there's no way my little ass is picking up this big man. It was just such a powerful moment for me. And I remember him saying, I, I thank you for that. You know, I'll never forget what you did for me. But now you look at the situation, how they had this whole tumultuous past and how his his father's life was turned into his life. The, 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 the alcohol abuse, the... the the, um, the womanizing and, and those things. And before he exited this earth, they were able to reconcile so he can transition and his son can have closure and now lives a beautiful, gorgeous life. He's married, has a great career. But this man, his father couldn't exit this earth without making that reconciliation. Mm. And I mean... When, when I got the whole story, I was just like, I was blown away. You know, like, it, you cannot make these things up. There's a, there's a higher power. I don't care whatever it is you want to believe in. There's an energy that is in this universe that guides us and that's, that brings us through certain things. And I always used to say this. I would miss out on opportunities. And I'd be like, damn, I would, I would feel like I was, like, worthless if I missed out on an opportunity. I'd be like, well, I guess I wasn't good enough to get that position. I wasn't good enough for this job. And then I realized that some situations or some things aren't for us. There's, there's, there's opportunities that miss us for a reason. You know, people think, oh, if I get this promotion, I'm going to be happier. Not necessarily. There may be more money in your bank account, but it may be some moral compromise. It might be something that you're dealing with that you, that you didn't deal with prior to. And you thought like, hey, if I got this job, this title, that it would change my life. And in fact, it will make it worse. You hear stories about people transferring to the departments and going back. And like, oh, you're crazy. I'm pretty sure you heard that, Frank. Oh, you're crazy for going back. But you weren't happy. You weren't, you didn't feel fulfilled. You weren't serving your purpose. Who is somebody else to tell you what your journey is? You understand? Like, so I, I, I laugh in the faces of people who say things, oh, you're crazy. You passed that up. Dude, it wasn't for me. 
Simply put, God didn't want that in my life. Something didn't want that in my life. It bypassed me for a reason. And I, I, it took me a long time to realize that there's opportunities that, that, that are presented to us that either, you know, that have to miss us or, or, or like maybe you have to revisit it. And then the connection happens. I had to really be patient and be still and just listen to, to my spirit and listen to, you know, that higher power, that energy, whatever you want to call it. Because I remember that, you know, I, I never talk about this publicly, but I, I remember having suicidal ideation. Absolutely. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I can sit here and be vulnerable and have this conversation with you guys. Like I, it's crossed my mind in the darkest of times in my life, you know, but you, people would see me and be like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with Jay. He's this happy, jovial guy. You know, everybody likes him. He makes jokes. Oh, he's good looking, whatever. Yeah. But I was not happy. I wasn't a happy guy for a very long time. One day I sat down and it just ran through my mind. Like, Hey, you know, I can do this. I don't want to be here anymore. And, you know, something told me to not do it. I thought about my mom and how devastated she would be. And that's what stopped me, to be quite honest. You know, and I never told this story like publicly, but, you know, that's where I was, you know. So when I sit in these conversations and I listen to these things and I'm like, it's so much like me. I mean, that's why we get along so well, because I see a lot of myself in you, you know. So I've always had these things and I just always tried to work through them. You can't do it by yourself. You need people to help you through this, through these processes, you know? So I figure I share that since we're being open and vulnerable and having these conversations, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Joey, thank you, Jay. No problem, man. God is doing, God is doing for us what we couldn't do for, what we can't do for ourselves. Yep. That's it right there. And, uh, I needed to hear that. So thank you. And, and uh, a lot of similarities, uh, and uh, it's definitely very, very, very good to uh, to be here. Um, so thank you, Jay. No problem, man. And Joe, of course, thank you. Um, we're going to flip through the labyrinth a little bit for like 15, 20 minutes. I want to hit on some some professional things with you, Joe. Um, when Jay said the adrenaline junkie, that's what I wanted to like. You know, we just got to a deep part of the labyrinth. I think we just defeated the Minotaur. Now we're going to find our way back out of the labyrinth right now. Right? Gotcha. with me. So... Um, when Jay said the adrenaline junkie, what is Jody? Is there like a common theme that first responders and military personnel they come to you and they talk about their situation, but in your mind you're like, huh, I have heard this plenty of times, and uh, you first responders are not so different than you you think you are. I have said that exactly what you just said thousands of times. I have a very good mentor, a very good master Jedi. <laughs> and I, and I, uh, um, I don't have a problem saying that. I don't have a problem, you know, I mean, I, I sincerely respect pretty much, pretty much anybody who asks me for help. Mm -hmm. I feel, I, I really feel, and I can relate to what you're saying in terms of a purpose. I really feel that that's, that's my purpose for, for still breathing. Yeah. Um, anybody's in trouble and they come across my path or they can get to me or I stumble into their path um, I I know I, I feel like I don't have a choice about responding about about helping yeah um, because I what I, what my life has shown me is that um, 
And I was saying earlier, you know, we can argue if uh, um, there are reasons or there are just, it's just serendipity or, uh, you know, any, any, any way we want to, we want to label what our life, you know, what our immediate experiences are. Um, but in, in terms of um, Frank's question, um, yeah, number one, I have said to many, many people, not only first responders, but specifically first responders of, 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 of any way we want to, you know, uh, define that word. Yeah. Um, here, you know, I mean, with, with reps, we're talking about law enforcement, uh, fire personnel, EMS workers, medical workers, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, in, you know, in, in, in my mind, I also include my profession in, as first responders. Yeah. Um, because, because we are. I mean, I, sometimes I get man. calls um, either on my cell phone. I get voicemails on my cell phone or, at, or on my office phone of, you know, literally, you know, um, please get back to me as soon as possible because I don't, you know, I just, I can't deal with anything anymore and, and I don't want to live. Um, that's like a generic kind of call that I get a yeah. lot. Uh, and number one, what I have learned is to always check my messages pretty much constantly. Yeah. Um, always respond, even if I know that a person is at a point where I really, I myself can't help, but I can connect to the right kind of help. Yes, know? yes. Um, and usually, you know, when, it, when I... When I spell things out on the phone, uh, if a person can't get to me in my office, or I just can't get to my office, um, there, you know, an argument ensues. In the sense of, you know, I'm not going to a hospital. You know, I'm, 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 I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a sergeant. I got, I got, you know, I got people under me. I'm not going to go to a fucking hospital. Yeah. And you better not fucking tell anybody that I called. You know. Mm. All, all that I understand it, I, I totally understand it, and I, I don't I don't argue the person letting it out. I kind of encourage. Sometimes I really push buttons to get this. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Maybe if you if you get you know if you vomit everything out, that's not going to happen in one phone call. Maybe you should come come down and see me. Yeah. Um. Now or or whenever. Uh, but. The fact that we, you know, that we get to the point where we're willing to vomit and verbally vomit all over somebody that we've never met before, mm. because we feel like we can't do anything else. Yeah. Um, that in itself is the first step in healing. We we got you know, we we got to get it out. Yeah. Um, having having said that. Um, what I wanted to add, and Frank, re reframe your question for me. <clears throat> First responders, military personnel that come yes. talk to you. Yes. Is there a common theme that you see with a lot of them, or is yes. it? Yeah. The, co the common theme, I think, is, I kind of said it before, the common theme that we all have in, in, the, human, <laughs> in the human brain, which is, I'm different. You don't understand. I'm a cop. 
you don't understand, you know, I, I for some crazy reason, I, I run into buildings that are burning. You don't, you don't understand that, you know, we had an ambulance call this morning and, and uh, you know, I, I, I saw a body that was split in half still sitting in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I, uh, I do, I do want to put a, put a word in for this. Um, for 13 years after 9-11, I was a member of the Rockland County um, Emergency Assistance Team. Um, and we were trained. We did like a weekend, a week, couple weekends, I think, of what was called basic trauma response um, uh, skills. Okay. Uh, and I, the way it works is, um, I was a mental health volunteer. I would always be paired up with either someone in law enforcement or a fireman, or you know, um, so we could we could we could pool our skills together. Yeah. We would get called. Um, by m- mostly by law enforcement agencies or or, or fire departments, mm-hmm. after the personnel had dealt with um, a usually a fatality or or a, a really traumatizing event, yeah, and we would either go to the police department or we would go to the firehouse or the EMS house, and we would gather the people who were there at the event as quickly as we could. Like if we couldn't do it the same day. Be the next day. Yeah. No one was mandated by the by the agencies themselves to actually participate, mm-hmm. but we were there to run them through what's called the crit- critical incident um, <clears throat> response. It's a, it's a very short modality, but it's to give people the the opportunity to talk about what they experience, and how they're feeling right now, uh-huh. and and we could assess. What they, what else they probably need, hmm. and may at least make the suggestions. Um, so, in 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 that way, I also you know. I I also dealt with people who all, everybody felt different. Yeah. Um, Some people process things different, right? You know. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But when I say different, what I really mean is, and I and I I, I can't. And I mean this sincerely. I can't. I can't thank you, Frank, enough for beginning reps for responders. Because I think one way that even even with you know my my uh, my, my I have a lot of training. I have a lot of knowledge, um, but you know I'm not the uh, the universal joint, so to speak. Yeah. You know, or the universal link. Mm-hmm. Missing link. Um, every, like I said, everyone is the same inside on the outside. Particularly with our minds, um, we, you know, we really stick to our, our e- ego based concept that mm-hmm. of what, how, why, and how I am so different from you. Yeah. Even in a crisis, it's like somebody, you know, I, I'm a helper. It's like, well, you know, fuck you. I don't need help. Yeah. You know, this happens every day. It's three o'clock in the morning. Bars are still open here in Rockland County till four. That's what I need. Get out of my face. Wow. Um, that's common. You know, that's very common. Yeah, more often than not. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, am I am I supposed to jump on the person and and yell at them and like, what are you fucking crazy? You know. Um, no. Yeah. But but 
what I say to first responders specifically is um, certainly not, not, nothing other than, I'm trying to think of how to say this. I, I, I couch the message that we're not all different, um, particularly when first responders come to me in trauma, et cetera. Um, but I also talk about um, you're a first responder. Um, we're, not, we're, not, we're not all different from each other, but we are having unique experiences that we've chosen to have in our professions. Yeah. And in the profession that you chose, what you're sharing with me today, you know, that that I'm I'm already, you know, pretty sure that, you know, part of the diagnosis is going to be PTSD, if not now, down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the protocols, these these are the modalities that that research has has shown us, research shows me that this is the avenue we gotta go first. Okay. Um, and most people, so I shouldn't say most people, some people resist, some people don't resist in terms of specifically first responders. Some, some people, especially when, when you're in a, in, in a room alone with another person, yeah. um, like sitting in my office in Nyack and it's just the two of us and I spell out how confidentiality works, um, legal confidentiality one of the breakers that's right, you know, in the law that I am mandated to follow is that if a person tells me, you know, and when I leave here, I'm going to get on the Mario Cuomo bridge. I know you love that. Um, <laughs> and instead of, you know, going through the exit, I'm, I'm going to blast through the side of the bridge and I'm going to, I, I want to go with my car into the river. What I have to say is that breaks confidentiality. I am mandated to do something about that. The yeah. only thing I can do is, first of all, you know, try, try to get you to calm down. Um, the words coming out of your mouth, I don't have to assess. I know what they mean. Yeah. I have to either call one of your loved ones or I have to call the police. Mm. And that's really tricky when you're sitting talking to a cop. Yeah. It's like you, you have to what? No, no, no. You're not, you're not calling one of my guys. Mm. People run out of the office. Uh, people make threats. Um, and I'm saying in terms, of, you know, in terms of first responders in general, it, I think in, in order to do the work of first responding the way you guys and women do it, um, you have to, you have to be ego-based. And what I mean, what I mean by that is you, you have to own the role as your personal role. Mm. Or it's not going to work. But you're not going to be effective as police officers. I never looked at it like that. You know, I mean, uh, the, whole, the whole phenomenon of, of uh, hypervigilance, for example. Yeah. Every first responder... And this includes ambulance, ambulance uh, people, ambulance course. Yeah, I've I've said this to in critical incident uh, um, interventions. I've said this in in just speaking engagements to first respond uh, to EMS workers, and I talk to them about hypervigilance, and it's like 
what you're describing is really more more on the law enforcement end. And I'm like, no, I'm what I'm describing is on the human brain end. Yeah, and that's that's one of our likenesses. You know, our brain works the same way. You don't have to be a first responder to be in hypervigilance. Think of a think of a woman or a man who is in a, an abusive relationship. And they're at home, and let's say, you know, the, the stereotype, you know, the, the husband comes home either drunk or all wound up, um, and he's going to slap the hell out of, out, out of his female partner or male partner. And it works the other way, too. Women and women, women being abusers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, that partner is in hypervigilance from the time they wake up until the time they go to sleep because they, they, they know that they have accepted literally a role in which that's in the picture. That's in the daily picture. Just like when you guys get called out to a call, you know that, you know, even though you got a weapon and you might be wearing particularly what kind of call it is, you may have a bulletproof vest on and you may have all kinds of other toys with you. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that somebody still can't shoot you in the head. Oh, yeah. You don't know you're really going to come back and be, go home that night. Mm -hmm. if, if, if we really say, no, I absolutely believe I, you know, I am impervious. Then like, I, you know, I would say, you know, we, 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 we got, we, we got to, we got to really help you with that. Yeah. You know, this is not a science fiction movie. This, this is reality. Yeah. Wow, man. I, I, I. I never looked at it from it's that lens. Reality. Yeah, man, I never looked at it from that lens. It's kind of eye-opening here. So in terms of, like I said, one of the, one of the, to me, one of the hallmarks of working with, with first responders, which, I, which I, 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 I really feel fulfilled a lot with, with being able to try to help somebody to just adjust their thoughts just enough so that you, it's okay for you to feel like a human Mm. Yep. Talk about it. And another thing that I've, I've I know I've talked about this on, on Reps Talk, um, the idea that you you are part of our society, as opposed to you are you know the only way you're a part of our society is that you are the guardians of our society. Yeah. But if you if you really feel and you know what 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 our mind what our brain perceives through what it through all of our senses, including our thoughts, the brain believes it as real and begins to tinker with all the systems in us to comport with the story we're telling it. Yeah. The story our, our mind is telling our brain, and I make a differentiation between the mind and the brain. Yeah. The brain will believe what, 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 whatever, whatever we tell it. Some people, for example, in terms of addiction, are literally addiction to, addicted to the negative thoughts that they tell their brain that creates the adrenaline rush. Uh, I actually spoke on that the other day. And, and, That's and, very and, hard and, to break. And it's really hard, hard to know. It's, it's, I, sometimes I feel like I'm working with, I mean, my tools are my, my, my thoughts and my training and my experience. But I feel like conversations I'm having, I'm literally, you know, like um, a scientist with a petri dish, and I've got 
little tweezers and I'm trying to move a piece over, not not remove it. Just move it over. Just move it over enough so there's a little space there that I can be heard mm-hmm. in the simplest language possible. I'm not saying you are not all heroes. And most of the time, whenever I call somebody a hero, their immediate reaction, including my, my, my dad, I'm not a hero. Those guys who died were heroes. I'm not a hero. Yeah. I made it over the beach in Normandy. I, I would hear that a lot. I say that a lot. Um, I say that a lot. However, I think, I think to do the work, you have to have some sense of your inner hero enclosed, your dedication, mm. the choice you make every day. Yeah. That, that's, that's more than a big deal, I think. That's something very sacred. Yeah. No, knowing what you can face. Because yeah. most of us are, 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 are not going to do that. Um, but a lot the, of, yeah, you're right. You're the, right. the conversations, like in the sense of like, you're not, you're, not, you're not different from anybody else. You have the same body. And you are part of our society. You're not a separate society. Because when the shit hits the fan, and we've had a lot of, over the last couple of years, experiences of the shit hitting the fan in a, a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you are the guys that we call if somebody's breaking into our house. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you are the guys that are so easy to turn into objects and be blamed hmm. for all the problems. Yep. And be blamed for, for 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 maybe making the wrong choice, for making maybe making a fucking mistake. Yeah, being well. thought of as not human. <sighs> you know, you're supposed to figure everything out, and it's all supposed to turn out okay for me. And the derision, you know, and and the that's the, heavy. The the hate that I hear a lot. Which, like I said, to me, all comes back to that, that very simple but deadly you know, thing in our minds. I'm different. They're different. Mm. They should have known what was going on in that apartment before they broke into it, before they broke in, yeah. even though you were called to it. I, you know, and the, I mean, the, you can, we could spin off a million conversations about all that, but all I'm, all I'm saying is that you're, you're having these experiences with the same body as the rest of us yeah. um, and when it gets confronted and you feel like you've reached your, you know your point of exhaustion you can't do anything more uh-huh. and the only thing you know how to do is what you know how to do but it didn't work out the way we would have wanted it to mm-hmm. um, I understand people the way it looks like to me is, you know, if there's no other choice, then you hide behind the shield. Wow. Like in, you know, old-time warfare, you know. But the shield was like a big shield. Yeah. Like, you know, like picture, picture uh, um, in Roman times yeah. and Greek times and Middle, Age, Middle Ages. Achilles and the Myrmidons. Yeah. That's what I think um, about when I hear the shield. You know, the, 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 the only thing you got shield is wall. these... Mm-hmm. As these, you know, these, these uh, 
first invented cannons or shooting big big balls of metal at you is a shield that's made out of wood, maybe some kind of metal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's understandable that that we all need to feel covered. We all need to feel safe. We all need to feel defended. Yeah. And ultimately what I've seen in terms of, of your work is that the only way to be defended is to defend yourself. And sometimes that's blown up into something almost opposite of what's really going on. Yeah, man. And that makes you feel even more different. Alienated. If and and I'm that, sure it yeah. feels victimized. Yeah. I, I tell people that all the time. Like one of the scariest things you could ever do is knock on the door, right? And you hear some tumultuous shit going on on the other end and you're trying in your brain it's you know i i because i can go back to a call i was on where it was a guy who basically was trying to get suicide by cop long story short i just remember being on the opposite side of that door and this dude i painted a picture of a man that was on the other side of the door with just the shit he was doing on the other side of the door i'm thinking is like a six foot eight behemoth <laughs> on the other end of the door just because of the the ebbs and flows of the call it would it would be like a like a at a low point and it would go up then it would go down again and then he would get enraged so I'm, I'm creating this contact with him i'm talking to him i found a point where he and i were able to communicate so now he and i are talking and i'm able to get him to surrender peacefully and he walks out and I look at this man. He was a tiny, the tiniest man I've probably ever seen in my Danny life. <laughs> about the same, <laughs> about the same specs. Like he was a tiny man, and I'm like, wow. Like the adrenaline and what was going on in that moment. I believe that there was this Hercules kind of guy. Yeah, there was this monster at the other end of the door, and yeah. I'm like, this little guy just walks out. And there's nothing more terrifying than, than knocking on the door and not knowing what's on the other end of it. Just hearing these things. I can't imagine it. It, it, it <laughs> just, the shit that it does to you, like your emotions, you know? And I remember leaving that call and feeling physically depleted. And that's happened on more than one occasion Absolutely. for me. I on more than one occasion. Like I remember one of the greatest calls of my life. And I, if, when, when I leave police work, this will be like the call that I, that I will remember. And I remember talking a man off of a, a, a roof. He mm. was going to commit suicide and I'm talking to him and, you know, I'm a truck guy, so my guy's, you know, creating the harness. He's hooked up to the BFR. We're ready to go and while I'm talking to him. And um, I just remember it was a 30-minute call, dude. And it felt like I was up there for two days. And I remember every time I would get close to him, he would scoot closer to the edge. And I'm like, and in my brain, right? And I actually told this story the other day. I Like, in my brain, I already, I was like, he's going to die today. This is, how, this is what I thought, because when he goes over, that rope has slack. So I got to be able to pretty much anticipate the jerk. So I got to hold this man to a point where, like, I got to basically have this dude in, like, a body triangle and, and grab him. Because when that jerk comes, he wasn't a big guy either. That's going to pull me up. And if I let go, he's dead. And in my brain, and this is, and I don't know, maybe I do this. I don't know if you've ever done this on the call, but I kind of... Um, create the outcome already in my brain. It's, I don't know if that's normal. I don't know. But I was like, the last thing this man's going to see is me reaching for him 
or whatever, and he's going to die. That's what I thought in my brain. I was trying everything in my power. I'm like, please do not jump off of this damn building. Please. And I remember him going through this whole, like, oh, you don't care about me. You're just doing your fucking job. You're just here because, they, you know, they called you here. You could care less. If I, and I said, honestly, dude, I don't want to see anybody. I'm a human. I don't want to see another human lose his life. Right. And it started to started to click a little bit, like, the more we were, because in the beginning, it was just nothing. He was giving me nothing. And then I remember having a conversation during this whole thing, and it his eyes lit up. I kept talking to him, and he was just, and you know, just shutting me down. And I remember, I go, hey, man, what's your name? He tells me his name. He goes, my name's Joshua. I go, that's a powerful name. And he looks at me, he says, what do you, about, he says, what do you know about the name Joshua? I said, that was Jesus' name. And he just, he like bucked up at me. And I was like, oh, man, I got him. And, and then he go, oh, he's like, so tell me more. I said, well, they didn't pronounce it. Joshua's Yeshua. And he just lit up. Then he started talking to me. And I was able to get him to come shake my hand and come off that ledge. But when I'm telling you, I mean, I grabbed him, obviously, because you never know. He'd give you yeah. the okie doke and then jump you know, to his death. But I remember grabbing him. Yeah, yeah, or grab me. Already, right? Yeah. So I already, you know, when I grabbed to the ground, but he, you know, he said he was like, he's like, thank you, thank you for listening to me, thank you for taking the time to talk to me, thank you. And I remember feeling depleted. You hear me? Like when we got him off that, off that, off the top of that building, I remember just being hands on my knees, like I just did a sixty-minute AMRAP, and I was dead tired. It physically took a lot out of me. Well, think, think of, among other things, think of what, what <clears throat> think of the fact that probably every muscle group of your body Adrenaline we're talking so, about. Like, like steel, mm-hmm. so tensed that when it was over, your, your body was probably like, you know, WTF, yeah. what did you just right. do to me? Yeah. You weren't even moving, like, like you know, it was like getting, getting you prepared for a giant brawl or a fight, and yeah. it was just. And we were at a lull before this, we weren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. We were just, we just up and down. We were sitting having a con. Remember, I was having a conversation. We were talking about like shopping or something. We were talking about something in regards to like going buying something. And we were just having this grand old time. And then we get this call, and everything just went from this to this. Yeah. And I just remember being like, oh man, this, I, this right here is this is what happens to a lot of, I mean, we'll just keep it at first responders. But if you really don't take care of yourself, you will be prone to a statistic of probably having a heart attack because of so much adrenaline released throughout your career. And then you're not, I don't want to, you know, maybe resilient. I guess that's what it would be at the shield resilient enough to, how am I going to be able to happen to a friend of mine, calm my body down Had a heart attack, chasing a perp came back. We were in the booking area, collapsed, died. It it happens in my profession too. One, one of, one of the, um, one of the handicaps of my profession is that, you know, it, once again, if, if, if we let ourselves, if we let our quote-unquote ego lead the way. Mm. And I, I just made the, the quotations Co- around ego. Um, because, it, because all that's theoretical. You, you, you can't do the geographical location of the ego, for example. Yeah. Um, but we're in the helping part. We do all this stuff, um, particularly if you're working with trauma and addiction, you're dealing with really hardcore stuff that someone is really, really experiencing. And you can do like, you know, eight of those conversations an hour long every day. Yeah. 
if we don't take care of ourselves, you know, decompressing, exercise, trying to keep the weight down, nutrition, spirituality, et cetera, et cetera, um, we drop like flies too. Yeah, Dif- different profession, you know, di- different. But it's all correlated. Stuff going you know, on, yeah. but, but it's all correlated because we're having repetitive, at least secondarily traumatizing experiences every fucking hour. Yeah, man. On the hour, yeah. And if you're not even aware of it, and a lot of people in my field dangerous. are not aware of it. Oh. It's just like, well, this is just like our profession. This is Same what thing. I do. And then I, this, I go is what I ha- this is what I have to do. Have a couple drinks and, you know, chill. I'm, I'm saying that, too, once again, to push the whole idea that we're all the same person. Yeah. That's the motto. The, bo- the, the, the body reacts the same way. I'm just now learning that, man, at 40. Like, it, it, this does, you know, I've been doing this 17 years. <clears throat> my body's different, dude. And from my perspective, you're a young guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm for, pro- for, 40 is not pro- what, I mean, I, any number. When, when, when I was talking about being a teenager... During the '60s, if you were 30, you were over the edge. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, like they push that number back yeah. these days. Don't don't trust yeah. anybody over 30, because <laughs> they, they, they're already brain dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I when I, when I speak of age, it's I, it's just more like a like a like a wisdom. Because like I got on this job, I was like 22, so I think chronologically, you know. Like my age is forty at cellular. I'm probably like fifty something, dude. Because just the shitty work hours, the the you know, the years of working midnights and not having the best meals, and you know, like the, all that type of stuff. The the what they call four to four is getting off the four to twelve and gonna have a couple of brewskis. That couple turns into a lot, and then you know that type of stuff. That over a period of time, that the aggregate weight of that does take a toll on your body of course you know and then and then the calls right you know like you, you think back to uh some calls that you have that just still sit in your brain fresh seeing certain things and and like you said if you don't have somebody that you know you can unpack that it's like when you were talking about that whole um debriefing right like uh, during an incident yeah that isn't i think that's happened one time in my career mm-hmm. and i've went to multiple situations where a limb was there the body was there yeah you know where you're looking in the car and it's almost like is this even real you know and when you're think about this right i was the the i mean i've i've seen dead people prior to me becoming a police officer but i remember this one distinct call guy was shot 17 times three different handguns just there i'm looking at this dude and it, it in my in my brain it wasn't real i was like it's just a movie bro like but you got to be, you know, you gotta, we got to be these tough guys, right? You know, you know, we just shake that off. That's not natural to see that, you know. Of course not. And the, and and the mind, your mind, has what I really mean. I almost caught myself there. Your brain perceiving what your mind was perceiving. Yeah. Um, really, I mean, it, that was just a perfect example of. Our brain protects us. Yeah, because the, the the I think the brain is probably the most selfish organ in the body Ooh. because it's going to protect itself. Yeah, somehow, some way, the brain is very sensitive to the fact that 
it will die if it doesn't have three minutes of oxygen. So it's like, it's very very vulnerable. Yeah, man. So it's also very aggressive with the rest of the systems in the body. And it will literally, you know, help you even dissociate. Tell you it's not real. Like, yeah. I must be dreaming. Or, I can relate you know, to this that. Is, this, I walked into a, a movie. Um, yeah, I, I can't tell. On but, several calls, I've done that. Like, this is not real. Like, my brain just shuts everything else off and says, yes. Jason, this isn't real. Just go through the motions and do what you, go revert back to training. Exactly. The one thing that, that I got from this episode, right, just listening to you talk, you, you make a lot of references to, like, the ego and the mind. I just started reading a lot of like Eckhart Tolle book, books. Oh, great. Yeah, and he gets into the ego a lot. And I'm just now discovering this ego thing at 40. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it and when you speak. In your, in your youth, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I don't listen, man. 40 isn't old. You know, I'm, I, I feel great. I, I think I'm sharp in, in all three facets, physically, mentally, and spiritually. I'm sharp, as, I'm sharp right now. Um, I'm, and I'm only getting better, but, um, when you, when you talk about the ego and I, like I said, I didn't even know about the, that the ego, ego even existed. I heard the word, didn't understand it. And so the more I dive into it, the more I, I research it, the more I learn about it, the, the more, like I, I realized that, um, I used to always say, I don't have an ego. I used to always say that and, cause I'm the baby, right? I was always wrong. I was always doing something stupid. So I never had an ego. So someone can tell me like, Jay, you're, you're, you're stupid or you did something wrong. I'm like, yeah, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. Like I would never defend myself because, uh, you know, in my situation, I'm the young brother. My, my oldest brother is like the polar opposite of me. He was like stellar in everything. And I was like the black sheep. I was the, hell, you know, Jason fucked up in school. He did this, he did that. And, uh, you know, my brother Oscar was just like perfect. So to follow in those footsteps, I never had an ego. I thought. I never had an ego until I think being a 22 year old cop and, and like jumping into it, you know, all in and, and really embedding myself in like cop culture, you know, going out there, we're making arrests, we're being proactive and this, that, and the other. That's when I started to develop the ego. Then, you know, and reverts back to the hero thing. Like, 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 like this is what I do good. Like I was created for this. You walk around, you have your chest up, little swagger in your walk, you know, like you, it's, it's, it's sobering to like, listen to like the whole ego thing and then figure out, like, I didn't know that I was doing this until way later until I'm reading this, these books. I'm like, damn Jay. Like, if, you, if I can interject. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Just in terms of the ego. Yeah. The word ego, E-G-O is a Latin word it, and it's, it would be pronounced ego. Uh-huh. And it means I am. Wow. Yeah. So when Freud and all those people got together and started being creative to what we call science today, um, fortunately, some of the language has been updated a little bit, uh, just in terms of understanding. Um, the man who put um, transactional analysis together um, gave us gave us some, some other ways of describing it. The ego is the adult that we present to the rest of the world. Mm. The superego is the parent in us. Not our parents, but the parent, the parental part of ourselves that keeps us, you know, reminds us of our values, what's right and wrong, uh -huh. et cetera. The id, the id. quotes, is the child. Yeah. 
that's and that's like the creative life-giving part of us yeah that we have our whole lives and once again like i said this is all theory but it but but it really checks out in research it makes sense resonates with me um so when when we're talking about just society made of so many quote-unquote different kinds of people um, first responders naturally i think naturally because we give you so much responsibility um are you going to pretend that you know you're not worthy of that role you can't do that role yeah um are you going to pretend that you shouldn't be proud because you know you explain to the public well this is just you know that this this, this is what i'm presenting to you but you know i'm just as human as you are yeah the public couldn't fucking handle it and, the, and there's a good sociological reason for that. It's all about being the parents of the society. Wow. You know, we, we, we have laws in place, et cetera, and we see, we see, you know, what we can do with laws. We can, we can uh, mm. do like abstract paintings, <laughs> depending on what we want. Um, but uh, that, that's another part of... Uh, being the first responders. And the role is as serious as a heart attack as being the real parent to a real child is. But because of just the way things are set up and us not being mindful of the fact that we have the same body and we react the same way, um, most people put first responders in positions where that are are totally um i'm going to use the word conflictual again Mm -hmm. we need you of course we respect you unless i'm in a rush to get to work and i'm going down 304 and i'm going 40 and i'm in the 35 mile an hour zone and i get pulled over and one of the friendly Clarkstown officers that I pay a lot of taxes for, you know, says, uh, license registration, how, uh, did, were you real, did you realize you're in the 35 mile an hour? Honestly, officer, I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm, I'm late for an emergency. Um, well, okay. Um, you know, I'm going to let you off this time, but, but, uh, you know, just, just watch yourself. And I, and I drive off thinking, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people do that, though, bro. A lot of us do. Yeah, yeah. I too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's uh, I, I mean, I really get pulled over these days. When I do, I get I'm, I'm agitated, so I can relate. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I, I can definitely relate. Right. I mean, but you know, like like I said, in a, in a moment of not being able to be so cool and calm and rational, that that man is just doing his job. Yeah. It's it's a lot to unpack, man. It uh, is. Well, it's a lot. Be, this could be multiple episodes. Dude. I want to just say one more thing before we stop. Sure. About hope. Yeah. So I was thinking about, I was anticipating whatever we're going to talk about today. Um, hope is, is a very important concept to me. Um, because in my life I've seen so many things that I never imagined I could hope for ah. actually happen. Hmm. And I'm not talking about bad things. Um, 
there are a lot of things that I have hoped wouldn't happen, but also have happened. Oh yeah. Um, but I know a lot of times we talk about, you know, have have hope for today and and have hope in the future. Believe in the future. Yeah. I'm all about that. But I also am am am, am really I, I I like the idea of a triad as opposed to, you know, a a a dichotomy. A, you know, two only two sides to an issue. Mm-hmm. I think when I just look at my own life, I, I, I see a lot of hope in my past. How so? In the most, and some of the most ugliest parts of my past. Uh-huh. Um, just, just like, like I said at the beginning in terms of, you know, I, I look back and I can see dots that now I can connect and they make sense. Hmm. It's like, if that didn't happen, then that didn't happen. This didn't happen. I wouldn't be right here. But right here. Yeah. Um, so when, when when I when I see that things, when I look back, my 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 own history is, um, and it's taken me a lot, including a lot of Buddhist meditation and philosophy. But we could talk about that some other time. Um, to get to the point where I can where I can say, you know, um, even though. Some things that, that, that have happened to me in my past still make me very, very angry and resentful yeah. and, and, you know, give me those really juicy negative thoughts that, that just shoot me full of adrenaline and make me feel, you know, really crazy. But yeah. I, I almost want it. I want to think these things over and over and over and over. Uh-huh. They're called resentments. But at the same time, when I when I look at my past, it's like I really couldn't have dreamed. I wouldn't have dared to believe that I'm where I am today. And I'm not just talking about work and financial and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm just talking about that. At, at my age, I'm looking forward, um, and I don't feel like I'm the decider, you know. But my, my hope is that. There's a lot of more. There's a lot more for me to do, and it's not all work. There's yeah. a lot more adventures and experiences that I want to have. Yeah. And my past tells me I might. Oh, that was powerful, bro. That was it right there? That was powerful, man. Yeah. yeah. Way to end. I you know, let me tell you, I've done a lot of podcasts in in my life. I've I've been doing this for like like five years. This is the greatest podcast I've wow. ever done, hands down. I, I like never walk away from these things feeling like super like satiated, like my spirit like satiated, safe. And today, like it, it this was the one where like I've never I've never sat down across a table and seen myself and somebody else in my life, and and I've sat at a table with my father who's. I am the carbon copy of my father, <laughs> my grandfather. I look like these men, and uh, the the way you speak and the life that you lived, I see so much of myself in you. And um, mm. I never thought that it could be possible to look at someone who looks the polar opposite of me and see myself in them. Never thought that was possible in a in a million years. You could never. You can pay me to have this. The thoughts that I have in my brain right now, you couldn't pay me 
to have these thoughts because I like I, if you told me, hey Jay, you're gonna have today you're gonna drive over to Frank's house, we're gonna have this podcast, and you're gonna sit across your twin. And and well, we're uh, both hot. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, like I would not believe this. Like, you know, this is the second time I've been here for a podcast, and I'm like, I'm always pensive when I come over here, like for a podcast. But I just I tried to I like I didn't drive with any music or anything like that today. I was just like trying to quiet my mind to make sure I'm like because you, you're like this is gonna be a good one. So I like quiet the mind, Jay. So when you get in there, you're focused and get the business. But I took so much from today's podcast. I think this is this is the most powerful podcast I've ever done in, in my short podcast career, and I'm I'm going to super promote this because I think there's going to be a lot of people listening to this, and it's going to hit home. And if this if this doesn't become like one of our like more popular episodes, I'm going to be thoroughly disappointed because I do believe if you sit down and listen to it, I think it's one of our longest as well. But there was so much content in in here that that resonates with a lot of people that do what we do that are in our communities that you know can can take something from this. You know, I I like I said my mind always <laughs> spins on the way over here, but you did not disappoint me. Today, Frank, I, I appreciate you. I'm very, very grateful to have sat in on this conversation, and I'm 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 very thankful for you orchestrating this conversation because uh, I'm now walking away today a better person after sitting on this conversation. So I just want to thank both of you for having this conversation with me today, uh, having the privilege of sitting in and, and listening and just taking in everything that everyone has said today. I'm leaving here. I'm leaving this apartment here today a better human being. Amen. Wow. Amen. Um, I am just going to say thank you, gentlemen, men. I'm going to keep it short, but uh, I definitely second Jay to that. Um, and I've known Joe for more than two, three years, and uh, this has definitely helped me on my journey and, and the future and hope of, of of the past. It's like we can never forget the past, but what are we going to do with it? And um, mm. I think Joe's message was beautiful today. So, Joe, I, I thank you. Jason, thank you for really getting down and dirty uh, in the labyrinth. And, and you know, both of you, both of you gentlemen. So, with jo- Joe, I'll leave it up to you with the final words. And just thank you. Wow. <clears throat> I have to thank both of you. Um, when, when you asked me or you mentioned to me that, that we could do this, um, I, tr- I tried to not project, and I really didn't do much projecting in the sense of I didn't do much, too much thinking about it, um, in the sense of what are we going to talk about or what kind of questions are you going to ask me, and I'm, am I going to be so inappropriate that you'll just use the whole thing anyway? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but um, I really appreciate it. Sincerely, I, re- I really, I'm, I'm very honored um, to be part of Part of, part of your podcast series and also to, you know, going back to reps um, I'm very honored uh, to feel more 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 brotherhood and sisterhood to other first responders yeah because like I said in a way we're doing the same kind of work but in just very very different roles and very different situations yeah. But if we can see the connections, I think it can make it, you know, at, at least a little, 
a little, a little more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yes. And this is this is the truth. I don't know if you want to believe it or not, but no, reps would not be the position that it is here. If, you know, growing. Um, you know, maybe as a as a young child now, right out of the infant phase. If it if it wasn't for you, um, so thank you, thank you very much. Wow. And wow. I don't mean that just because of reps, but um, the ways that you've helped me out. Because if I didn't this little tiny brain create some of these ideas, it would uh, it wouldn't exist. And it helps me uh, be the young man that I am today, and the man that I want to be in the future. So thank you, Joe. All right, Amen. thank you, Frank. Amen. So far, reps for responders, uh, listeners, please like, subscribe, share, especially this, this episode. Uh, I think this is a very powerful episode. I think this will resonate with a lot of people who, who take the time to listen to this. And I never ask anybody to do this, but if you listen to this episode and, and this hits home and this makes you feel, if, it, if this invokes a feeling in you, share it. Send it to somebody that you think would benefit from it. I, I promise you, if you do, they'll be a better person for it. So uh, until next episode, have a blessed and productive one and try not to be a shitty human being. Have a good one.